be reading John chapter 10. John chapter 10 will begin in verse 22. It's a follow-up to this morning's sermon. A seemingly insignificant detail becomes very important when you look at the big picture uh, and read the rest of the Bible. So let's look at John chapter 10, beginning at verse 22. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? John chapter 10, verse 22. Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for telling us the story about Jesus and help us as we look at this passage of scripture to see the things that would encourage us, to motivate us, to inspire us, to keep on with your plan of reaching the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. John is specific about the time and the place of this conversation. And logically so, we look at this conversation and we look at the deep theological implications of eternal life, security of the believer, the strength of the master keeping us safe, being a sheep of his fold. But I want us to look at the time, and the time is the feast of the dedication. This is not an Old Testament feast. This was a feast that commemorated something that happened between the Old and the New Testament. It is the Feast of Lights, or it is the modern Feast of Hanukkah. It comes in December. It originated between the Old and the New Testament to commemorate the Jewish victory over a Greek ruler called Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, he lived between 175 and 164 B.C. was his reign. That's when he was reigning. And he decided he was going to force the Jews to become Greeks. So he went in and ransacked the temple, slaughtered pigs on the altar, disrupted the worship service. Mattathias, the high priest, and his son, his name is Judas Maccabeus, led a revolt against Antiochus Epiphanes and threw them out. They won the victory and ran the Greeks out of town, went in and cleaned up the temple and reinstituted worship. And Hanukkah commemorates that victory. This feast commemorated that victory. So it was an important feast. It wasn't an Old Testament feast, but it was important enough there were quite a few people there. Then it says... It was the place, the temple. But then again, it says very specifically, it is Solomon's porch. Solomon's porch was alongside the court of the Gentiles. It was a long porch with columns 40 feet high. 
It was a covered porch, which is quite significant because he specifically says it was winter. It was wintry weather, which had been the raiding time. It was raining. So Jesus would be in the covered porch, Solomon's porch. On Solomon's porch, that's where people gathered there to pray. It was a popular place. People would pray and to meditate. Very crowded place a lot of times. It was a big place, room for a lot of folks. But rabbis tended to meet there with their students and talk about doctrine, theology, and teach them the things of God. This porch, we'll see, becomes the arena in which the resiliency of the gospel message would be exhibited for everybody to see from now on. How is that? Well, let's look at what happened on that day. First of all, we see the continual efforts to silence the message. Jesus had told the crowd he was the good shepherd. He had said that I am the door. And as saying he is the good shepherd, of course, that's language that they knew that would indicate that he was claiming to be the Messiah. In verse 24, it says they surrounded him. They didn't surround him like somebody that's really eager to hear what he had to say. They surrounded him in a very hostile manner, like a siege mentality. They surrounded him so perhaps he could not get away. And they said, tell us plainly, are you the Messiah or not? Are you the Christ? Tell us plainly. What they were looking for was particular language that would trigger a response from the Roman government. You see, he had said in Old Testament language that he was the Messiah when he said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. In Jewish language, he had said, I am the Messiah. What they wanted him to say was some words that they could trigger a Roman arrest. And he said this, I told you. Tell us plainly. They were laying a trap for him. And he just looked at him and said, you heard me the first time. I told you. And then he says this, and you did not believe. They did not believe the times that he told them in Old Testament language they did not believe, even with the obvious events of the day, and that was the healing of a blind man. If you'll look in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5, Isaiah not only pinpoints titles of the coming Messiah, he said, this is what you'll see happen when the Messiah comes to town. You'll know he's here by the things that he does. And he begins to outline the things the Messiah, the Christ, would do. In Isaiah chapter 35, verse 3. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful-hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. And the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, and the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing, waters will burst forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert. Did you catch that? 
The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will walk. The man who couldn't talk begins to sing praises to God. They had seen every single one of those things happen. Documented, unmistakable. In fact, they had a problem with one of them just earlier because he was healed and he was healed on the Sabbath. And they went to his parents and said, this is not really the guy, is it? They said, no, that's our son. He's born blind. This is documented, verified. This is proven. He can see now. They even went to him and said, what happened? He said, all I know is I was blind. Now I see. Unmistakable. In fact, they took up stones to stone Jesus, and he said, many good works I have shown you from my father. Which of these works are you stoning me for? You see, they saw it as unmistakable. And their response was to try to silence Jesus. Verse 31, the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Verse 39, therefore they sought again to, again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. It's quite interesting. John mentions that word again. Up to then, if you read through the book of John, there were seven attempts other than this. These two make nine attempts to capture Jesus and to silence the message that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, coming to save the world. And they would continue until the day of the crucifixion. In their eyes, he was finally silenced, but not so fast. Turn to the book of Acts, chapter 3. Book of Acts, chapter 3. We see in verse 11, we pick up in the middle of a event that happened at the temple. A lame man was healed. But look at the details after the miracle of when Peter and John healed the lame man. Acts chapter 3, verse 11. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. Where were they? They were at Solomon's porch, the same place where Jesus said, I have told you I'm the Messiah, the Christ. You didn't believe me. And they attempted to silence him right then and there. They thought they had silenced him. Now, this is several months later, all of a sudden, right there at that very place, Solomon's porch, a crowd gathers. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murder to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, yes, faith which comes through him, has given him this perfect soundness and presence of you all. Now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. 
Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Wow. They saw, thought they had silenced the message. Right there on Solomon's porch, there it is again, the message. And what was their result? In verse 1, as they spoke to the people of, of chapter 4, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men who came to be about 5,000. Where did they hear? From Solomon's porch. How many believed? 5,000. Sounded like to me that the message was not silenced. Again, in chapter 5, verse 12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. They were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of men and women. Where did this happen? Solomon's porch. And of course, there was another attempt, if you skipped over to chapter, uh, to verse 40, when they agreed with Gamaliel about these guys, they had called for the apostles and beaten them. They commanded they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let him go. Wow, another attempt to silence the message. But look at the result. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching the name of Jesus Christ. Wow. Isn't that something? Solomon's porch, where they tried to silence Jesus. Solomon's porch became the arena where over and over they tried to silence the message. And the message could not be silenced. And people came to know Jesus by the thousands. What does that tell us? That tells us that the power of what we do here is not in our talent, our abilities, our resources. The power we have as a church is in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, regardless of any efforts to silence, any challenges we may under, uh, face as we go, any setbacks we may see, the message will never be silenced. God has promised that this message would continue. So as long as this message is our priority as a church, that's our power. That's our success. That's our guarantee of progress. Over and over. They tried to silence the message of the gospel of Christ. In this one place, Solomon's porch became the battleground. And God won because the message is still preached today, 2,000 years later. It was not silenced then. It will not be silenced now. So therefore, let us continue to confidently go about our work as a church reaching this generation with the same message. Is there any word before we continue?
If not, I have some items of business to take care of.